I want you to guess my songs, okay? Okay. Wait, the, is it more than one? Yeah, I'm going to do multiple ones. What is That one is a uh, power dun, and majesty, dun, praise dun, to the king. What's the name of it? Shout to the, Shout to the Lord. Lord. I put that on my Insta. We can talk about that, too, because that was um, didn't age well. <laughs> oh, it did. <laughs> well, no, because I was celebrating the cold. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, here's another one. Um, mm-hmm. Without the words, it's so hard. What is that? I want to know you. Oh, I, I want, want to see your face. Oh my gosh. In the secret, in the quiet place. As the deer panteth for. That was my mom's favorite song. It's a good song. I like that song. Do you remember when we did our 25th last year and I got on, began my sermon by singing 90s worship songs and everybody joined in? I loved it. Thank you. And it's crazy how those, I mean, I haven't sung a bunch of those songs in years. Years. But they come right back. They come, they back. come right back. They were whatever the mind does as a youngster. Those things were locked deep within me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If I ever, get... I was just reading actually um, about the preteen brain. Yeah, and it is like the things that form you when you're that age do have like they affect the rest of your life. Yep, that's crazy. Yeah. Also, Oliver Sacks, um, music affiliate and other books, now deceased, I think, mm-hmm. um, has written some fascinating research on. Um, what do you call that? Not amnesia, the, the terrible disease. Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's, yeah. Um, that uh, music, though, Yeah. the way it, it lodges itself in the brain, to use a gross description of a technicality that's scientific, Sure. Um, it's, it's just astounding what it yeah. does. Memory. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like that video of, uh, you used it, I think, um, the the woman who's a ballerina, and she's oh, yeah, the like, bla- in oh. her 80s or 90s. Yeah. I used that in one of my two weeks of quarantine when I was uh, preaching the... Matthew 25 text, sheep and goats. Oh, you did? Yeah. Huh. That was in like November? Gosh, that was such a beautiful thing. That video? Yeah. It was. Okay. Um, here we go. You you need to lean a little more. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I tested it before, and when I get close, it sounds just as crisp as when I... So, well, Taylor. Hey, um, let's just... Tr- since you mentioned the preteen brain, uh-huh. let's talk about your fun news. Okay, yes. Yesterday, so one of my favorite things that happened this weekend was... Yesterday, we started the 5th and 6th grade group on Sunday evenings, afternoons, evenings, 5 p.m. Is that evening or afternoon? 5 p.m. Uh, I don't know. Whatever you want it to be. Okay. Well, one of those things. And it was so fun. Can I tell you one of my favorite things that happened? I say 5 o'clock is e- evening. Okay. Like 5 o'clock somewhere is like when you can have a drink. Yes, yes, yes. Evening. Okay. Go ahead. I interrupted. I didn't have any drinks while I was I didn't think you did. 5th and 6th graders. Um we were talking about, so we talked about creation yesterday mm-hmm. and uh, how God, you know, in Genesis, God created all these things and then he, and then God would call them good. And um, <laughs> uh, we got to the part where it's like, God created all the animals in the sea and everyone was like, sharks are scary. Sharks are scary. And I was like, very true. And um, I think it was Lily Kate Hoppy. She was like, if you're scared of great white sharks, you would really hate it if the megalodon was still around. <laughs> <laughs> that like, is the kind of stuff I'm here for. <laughs> and I was like, "That's so true, Lily Kate." And then she, uh, and then somebody, I can't remember who, but somebody said, "Did you guys know?" Oh, so then someone was like, "You know, what's even scarier than sharks, dinosaurs." 
and someone was like, did you guys know that um, they could, they could take, <laughs> take, let me know like this, take the DNA from a mosquito and like remake dinosaurs? <laughs> and I, at first one was like, oh yeah, yeah. And then I was like, no, Taylor, that is the plot. <laughs> I've seen this before. <laughs> Bark. And so then I was like, wait. But then I didn't want to, you know, they were, we were all. Not your job to time. crush their dreams. Yeah. And some, then somebody else was like, um, no, I don't think we have the technology for that. And I was like, oh, yes, that is. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard that. We don't have the tech for that yet. That's yeah. True. You just go with it. That's uh-huh. great. Yeah. that That's some good content. It Gosh. Was great. It was really fun. I so fifth it. and sixth. Uh-huh. I'll tell you that Lily Kate, she's an enigma to me. She's right. got some Mabel Five ish energy to yeah. me. I wonder what she is. She does have some um, Mabel Five-ish energy. I um, I had lunch with Brian Hoppy a few weeks ago at his house. Uh-huh. Where we were trying to be safe. Uh-huh. And so I drove out there, and he's like parking the, the driveway and come through the back gate. And Lily Kate was coming out of the garage, and she just looks at me and says, Oh, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> then I go inside. <laughs> She's the best. It was so much fun. They were all so great. Yeah. I love that group. Mabel will be in it in a year. Yeah, She's that's true. Fifth grader. Hopefully, we'll be meeting at the church by then. Question mark. Question, question mark. mark. Yeah, well, hopefully. Hey, um, well, we've got a lot to get through today. Okay, here we go. Let's start with TV. Okay. I, you know, I'm in the middle of Community. Yes. Which I'll tell you, I don't think I've laughed this loud, this consistently at a sitcom since The Office. Really. I think after one season, this is premature. I would put this above Parks and Rec for me. Wow. Yeah. So The Office also above Parks and Rec for you. Yeah. Yeah, Office probably the best sitcom for me ever. Interesting. Um, well, and what I'm about to say, you could certainly level at The Office. Okay. I though it's it's so interesting how fast um, our collective consciousness is evolving mm-hmm. with certain issues because uh-huh. there's just so many moments where I'm like, I wonder if they could do that now. Yeah. And they're not like blatant bad, but I do have there, there's a a returning theme of a kind of sexism. In the show, uh, that is on purpose, but I'm wondering is not as funny in 2021 as it was in 2013. Yeah, it premiered, and you haven't seen it, right? I have not. So I would love your. But there was another interesting thing where again it was 2013 where there was a uh, Trump reference. Really. And it just made me. I mean, it was nothing political, of course, and it was like right, about the fact course. that he's a rich person yeah. who has hotels, kind of like how he has a cameo in Home Alone too. But yeah. I just did wonder how those things are going to age. Well, and, you know, in The Simpsons, they, like, predicted that he would be the president at some point. Or they did an episode where he was the president at some point in, like, the 90s or something. Yeah, it's crazy. So, But that, I mean, that ages differently. That that has a kind of air of brilliance to it. But I wonder, like... Just the general... Well, the, the casual references mm. in a comedy sketch, will those, will those, I mean, they, you know, I don't think they're going to evolve the same way. Right. That will be really interesting to see. Yeah. I love that show, though, if anybody cares. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk about it because you haven't seen it. But Okay. Yeah. All right, West Wing. Okay. We haven't done this in a while. And then you have a TV show to talk about when I'm done. I do. Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Okay, so um, I finally did the last few episodes of season two. Okay. And I have several observations. Okay, do you remember how the season two ends? Yes, I was just listening to a podcast about so, it, two, cathed- two cathedrals, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has that great prayer in the cathedral, the National Cathedral, which is so beautiful, by the way. 
And then he comes to this alternative place that's not the East Room or wherever they do announcements. Right. Okay. Um, and CJ's like, take the question from this person first. He's going to ask you about health. And, and then, then he, he looks and he asks a question from somebody else who, of course, asks, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the show and plan to watch it, um, are you going to seek re-election? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, listeners that are with me, it's because he has undisclosed MS, which is going to be a big problem politically, all these things. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then Leroy, or Leo McGarity, Leo. <laughs> right? Yeah. Says, watch this. Uh-huh. Then the episode's over. Uh-huh. Then I'm like, fine, cliffhanger. Yeah. Okay. Then I'm like, that's fine. I'll watch the beginning of season three. Well, uh-huh. guess what happened? Historically. What? The writer's strike or something. 9-11 happened. Oh, oh my gosh. We should talk about this. That episode, they wrote it in like a week. I, well, I was thinking that because I'm like, TV shows used to premiere at the beginning of September. They got to buy some time. But what happens then is that Josh, what's his last name? Lyman. Lyman has that group of students, like yeah. the political group, and there's like a code red or whatever where they have to lock down the White House. Yeah. And it comes on the heels of everybody being freaked out about... So they used the whole episode to talk about um, attitude towards Muslims. Yeah. Um, after 9-11. Which, again... Historically, not a fan favorite episode. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't finished it, but this is the thing that pisses me off. Okay. I still don't know what, what he How said. Can- and I'm almost on the episode. I'm like, I wanted that resolved in the first minute. But you have some context. Why they didn't do that? But it's like they forgot about the cliffhanger at season two because of no. this very important historical event. Well, but no, you have some context about um, how long the show goes on for. To well, yeah, of. but I mean. But, um, but also, I think, um, I don't think they forgot. But do you, I mean, you remember what it was like after 9-11. Oh, it's I like, do. And. I, again, I, I will get, I'm interested to hear why it's not a fan favorite, but I, I it was very forward thinking because um, I mean, what the the thing that was brilliant is Lyman has the students, mm-hmm. and he says, you know, like somebody says, why does everyone want to kill Americans? Mm-hmm. And um, he says that's you know not true. And then he says, um, fill fill in the blank. Fundamental fundamentalist extremist. Is um, Muslims are to Islam what blank is to Christianity, mm-hmm. and somebody says fundamentalist Christians, you know, and then he says no, the KKK, mm-hmm. which I thought was um, early. Well, and <laughs> wow, January sixth, two thousand twenty-one. Yeah, well, that turned out to be interesting. Whew, man, I know. Um, but I, it was just you know looking back now, twenty years later. Uh, to I thought it took some courage, I guess. To make that episode on national TV that soon after that had happened. Maybe, but like right after it happened, it's all anybody thought about. Do you know what I mean? I feel like people probably would like prefer to watch an episode about something like that than even to watch an episode that like resolved a cliffhanger. Oh, is that what you meant about context? Yeah. Well, just like that the country, it's like... It's all any. I mean, it, no. I guess what I mean though is I can't believe they took that firm of a stance, like a pro-Islamic stance, in two thousand and one, that close after it. Well, but also, do you remember right after it? There's that George W. Bush. Yeah, speech. that's true. Like it was like pretty immediately. Everyone was like, "You guys, we cannot do this." And then slowly over time, the erosion of like that feeling um, from different groups like took over the national dialogue 
You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it was probably so early that everyone was just being like, we cannot blame this on one people group. We cannot blame this on one people group. But I thought then, it was great. Um, yeah. So I, why don't people like the episode? Well, you know, it's not perfect in execution and ideology. And Will that be evident to me after I finish the whole thing? Probably. I mean, have you seen anything, any of the Leo storyline yet? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and it just is like, I mean... Oh, I could see how that's problematic so far. Yeah. Um, yeah, people can go watch it. It's season three, episode one, if they want to. Well, and also I think it just was like a tonal shift, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I was surprised. It was just this bottle thing that was... I skip it every time. Really? Mm-hmm. Because of the Leo thing? I just don't want to watch it. I want to watch. I want to watch the rest of the story. You know, like okay. And then yeah, it's not great. It doesn't. Uh, I'm like leaning way far away. I feel. It doesn't do anything for me. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't. I don't. Yeah. I think it was fascinating for me. Um, in the same way, like it would be reading a newspaper from two thousand and one now. Yeah. Or reading a history book, or you know. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Here's something that was emblematic of how the country was trying to make sense of this. And I was alive and had emotional memory of that now. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. That's crazy. But okay. Yeah. Staying within West Wing, but uh, totally different. Okay? okay. This is much more pertinent to you and me in our ongoing dialogues. Okay. So simultaneously to all this, um, actually, I think it's the last episode of season two. They, uh, Lyman's trying to get a bunch of funding to fight cigarette companies in court case. Okay. Um, and they they have a win with something about the deficit. So I don't know. They need to ask for more or less money. So the anti-cigarette lobbyists, I'm making stuff up, but framing this so people can get to this quote. Right. Want, um, want to put this thing in the speech that really lambasts um, like corporate greed or something like that. Okay. It's, it's cigarettes or it's the um, environment. I think it was cigarettes. Okay. Yeah, I know it's cigarettes because Josh Lyman's last thing when he's talking to the lobbyist is it's like two. They say something. It's like two o'clock, and he's like, "Yeah, and by five o'clock, ten thousand people will try a cigarette for the first time, and nine thousand of them will be under the age of eighteen. I don't know what, but anyway. Yeah. So, anyways, all that to say, these lobbyists want to put a really bombastic thing like yeah. about. Um, so this is Sam Seaborn's response. Okay. And it's it's about him being a moderate and giving measure words. I really, really identified with it. Okay. And I want you to give me your thoughts, okay? Okay. I'm sorry. It's, there usually is when she's in high school. Sam. It's not the writing. Come on, Henry. Faster private jets and swimming pools. We can take out the heavy bats now. And do what with them? The line works. So does how about them cowboys when you're playing a club in Dallas, but the line isn't going to change the mind of anyone who doesn't already agree with us. Sam, are you in favor of tax cuts for the wealthy? I am not. I am in favor of tax cuts for those for whom it will do the most good, and that's a tough enough battle. And it looks like all of a sudden we've got a fair fight. But I'm not talking about policy. I'm talking about rhetoric, and the men you work for need to dial it down to five. Henry, last fall, every time your boss got on the stump and said, it's time for the rich to pay their fair share, I hid under a couch and changed my name. I left Cage Whitney making 400000 a year, which means I paid 27 times the national average in income tax. I paid my fair share, and the fair share of 26 other people. And I'm happy to, 
because that's the only way it's going to work. And it's in my best interest that everybody be able to go to schools and drive on roads. But I don't get 27 votes on election day. The fire department doesn't come to my house 27 times faster and the water doesn't come out of my faucet 27 times hotter. The top 1% of wage earners of this country pay for 22% of this country. Let's not call them names while they're doing it, is all I'm saying. You're not using the line? No. Or anything like it? No. And I hope you'll make it clear to your people that this has nothing to do with diluting our position or cozying up to Republicans. Oh, why would they think that? Okay. Okay. You know already why I like it. Uh, or not. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I do. I feel like it's like every argument I want to make. I'm on your side. I agree with you. Here's the facts. But it's about the way we engage people. Sure. And all, the language matters. All that stuff matters. And it's about getting stuff done. And this won't help get stuff done. I just like when I heard this him give that answer, I'm like, oh, 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 yes. I feel so understood and seen. That is so interesting to me. I think I got caught up in the tax stuff of it all. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really hear that. Um, so now I'm trying to think about that. Um, yeah. So again, to, uh, to tie it to us, going okay. back to the unity thing, which again, those conversations took a new lens on for me after the sixth. Yeah. Which felt much more amenable. But um, assuming there'll be a day when somebody like Ben Sass or Mitt Romney is the, God, God we hope, is a Republican nominee. Sure. We will return to conversations that are about politics as they should be, I hope. And we won't be like having to fight about racism and stuff. Um, or at least explicit racist comments. And in that day, I do think there's a certain utility to being very strategic about the language and the way we engage to for the the umbrella of not sacrificing ideals, but for getting things done that we think are important. Yeah. Um. I sh I should have sent you that ahead of time. Is what okay. I should have. I'm trying to imagine that day. Because, yeah, well, we talked some about this last week, I think, but um, I feel, I mean, I feel that our um, sociopolitical system is so messed up at this point. Mm -hmm. that it feels like something major has to happen. Well, I think I agree with that. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. My comment was going to be, I agree. And I think the thing that if it's ever going to happen will be either both parties or one of the parties devolving into a, another, another a third party, a party system. And that will begin the, the thing of change. I think will be healthy where people can start to run on ideals instead of platforms. Yeah. I don't wish this on the Democrats because I think I want them to be strong right now. Mm -hmm. But I think, too, that they're heading for eventual division as well. Well, I feel like both parties are. Yes. Right? The The Republican one now seems more imminent. Yeah. Because of people like Liz Cheney and Ben Sass and Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. And then, what's her name? Marjorie Green Taylor or whatever. Right, yeah. And just... The stunning support. There was a really good daily episode how neither Liz Cheney nor Marjorie Green Taylor again mm -hmm. got officially rebuked within the Republican Party for whatever that word is, where mm -hmm. they can not sanction, but 
but um, they like they voted against no, which is kind of like we're going to still accommodate these two extremes within the party, uh-huh. but that's not going to be tenable. Uh-huh. And I do think that if Trump tries to push forward with the Patriot Party in 2024 mm-hmm. or something. That, he, that there will be a split. Yeah, but that, again, could be the thing, I think, that helps us get towards a healthier political system, interestingly yeah. enough. It's, and it seems that the, within the Democratic Party also there is potentially a schism coming, most likely a schism coming. I just don't know when it will happen. Um, but it could be that Joe Biden is the harbinger of that because... Well, you know, this weekend he announced a lot of, like... Um, immigration policies that were like not the reverse course that he had originally said he was going hmm, to I hadn't been paying attention agree with so I think that's a lot of people are very very frustrated he also last week spoke about forgiving student loan debt and how he didn't feel the president had the power to do that in large capacities which is also something that was a campaign promise and so hmm. I think people are frustrated um anyways all of that to say i was just talking to someone about this actually i think (laughs) this is so strange because i'm not like um into like total depravity or anything like that but i do think people are inherently bad i agree with that okay and i think that given the chance they will make decisions mostly it's not that they'll make decisions to hurt other people but they will make decisions only to help themselves. Right, they're self-interested. Yeah. Which usually translates to negative outcomes or, um, uh, there's a word economists use for this, but yes. And so I think we, and this is what we talked about last week, that was like, you know, in my uh, ecclesiology, this is different from like my sort of political ideology, that I think we have to legislate people into being good people. Yes. And, um... I saw someone earlier this week call it like a, an American obsession with toxic positivity that is part of why some people refuse to like acknowledge systemic racism and like do anything to fight it because it's not very positive <laughs> to talk about how society has systemic racism built into it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, you know, I think that's a real cute speech, but I don't know that a lot of people are like being like, yeah, I'm happy to pay 27 times the like average tax amount or whatever, because I know that's what. So your critique is that the Sam Seaborn character is not realistic in that moment. Well, it is like um, I think it end of what you said, like it's like it's important to be realistic about how the way we're communicating um whether it's effective or not we have to think about that but then it's like we also have to think about i mean he um you know he said like i'm all for paying 27 times tax amount and then he went on to like list several ways in which he felt he was not benefited by do you know what i mean like the water doesn't come out of the tap 27 times faster the fire department doesn't get there you know what i mean like so it's like it actually doesn't seem that he was just like chill with doing that. Do you know what I mean? And so because I don't know that anybody is. But when you make, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. I think billionaires are like a moral failing of our society. Nobody should have that much. Yeah, money. but the point isn't to debate even a political ideology. I mean, to me, the point of the discussion is how to dialogue in a way that can change the political ideology. But even his political ideology wasn't changed. I disagree. He said, I'm glad to pay 
But then he went on to complain about how he is not actually better. Or like he doesn't actually benefit from doing that. I guess I felt like those points were a subset um, to, of rhetoric to bolster a larger point that wasn't detracting from, I don't want to do these things. Okay. And what I, think he, I think he was saying, I don't get 26 votes in a day. I don't get a faucet that comes out faster or whatever, whatever the things were. Um, and so um, it doesn't do me any good to um, alienate the people across the aisle from me with my language because if I want to get done what I want to get done, I need to engage them in a way that I need to engage them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm feeling particularly sensey about this right now because sensitive, I mean. Because um, I just lately I've been so obsessed with like remembering in 2016 how it was like now okay like if you if you voted for Hillary Trump won so you need to reach across the aisle and ask how you know how they're feeling hmm. da, da 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 and then now in 2020 it's like okay if you voted for Joe Biden the thing is now you have to reach across the aisle and ask. Trump voters why they're sad and it's like why why do why is it always on why, like why am I always reaching out to someone to ask why they're sad and not like why why can't we just come together do you know what I mean like why is it that in 2016 I was expected to get over it but in 2020 I'm called to reach out and see why someone is da, 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 da. so I think these some of these things right now are I'm maybe in a heightened sense of annoyance about them yeah um, and you get to be there sure thank you um, I'm gonna leave it there for this week yeah I just I don't know that I'm a <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I'm responding to the same thing in the quote that you're responding I to. I think that's probably true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not like either of us have to win this conversation or something. No, certainly not. Okay. Well, thanks for um, engaging with me on it, though. Sure. Of I course. just really liked it. I like Sam. I like Sam. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A um, couple of things. Tell me this. Okay. What's going on with Britney Spears? Uh, and the Free Britney movement? Yeah, what is this? I tried to Wikipedia it. Oh, okay. Um, so Hulu released a documentary recently. Okay. Um, basically, Britney Spears is still in the conservatorship she was placed in. What is a conservatorship? Um, so basically her dad, well, I think it's changed a little bit. I actually haven't watched the Hulu documentary yet. But do you remember in 2007 um, when she was... Having a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Shake yeah. her head, all that. Kevin Federer, what's his name? Yes, Federline. Um, she was placed under a conservatorship. Uh, now that there's anything wrong with a female shaving her head, by the way. No, uh, because uh, a judge decided that she was not capable of like caring for herself and her children. So he, a uh, court ruled that. Yes. Okay, so that was like a legit thing, presumably. Well. Or not? Is that part of what the problem is? Part of what I seem I have listened to several podcasts about the documentary, despite the fact that I have not watched it. Um, and they, it seems to be the case that it se the decision was a little fishy. It didn't seem like the judge was like listening to all of the um, arguments or really caring, and just sort of made a decision. 
And also... So again, what's a conservatorship, okay. though? So a conservatorship is when an adult is found to be like not... Especially an adult like Bernie Spears who has a lot of money and da 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 is found to not be capable of caring for themselves and taking care of their own estate and the things that they're in charge of. And so um, another adult is like essentially put in place to um, to handle all those things. Hmm. So it's like he actually, I think at one point was the, oh, sorry, it's her dad who was the person in charge. Okay. Um, he, I think at some point it's like he has custody of her children um, he is in charge of her money, her estate, all of those things. And I think some of those things have changed at this point, but most of it's still in place. So the free Britney thing is like, hey, she's an adult. She's fine. Give her back everything that's properly hers. Yes. And especially, I think the idea is that she was never out of, she was, she never actually was like incapable of caring for herself. But because of the way the media treated her, I mean, Justin Timberlake came out with like an official apology because he had like, you know, they talk a lot apparently about the obsession with her virginity and when she turned 18 and, you know, there were like whole countdowns that people had until the day that she turned 18 and was like mm, legal. Really or, gross. Yeah, really gross stuff. And Wait, did she date Timberlake? They dated for a long time. Okay. See, so that's just like, forget about that stuff. That's crazy to me. Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears are uh, very formative. You know the when they wore those denim outfits. Very yeah, I mean it's moment. it's vaguely coming back, yeah. and I remember them being cultural icon. But yeah, okay, keep going. And um, he they broke up, and he immediately cast a uh, like a Britney Spears body double to star in his Crimea River music video. Like immediately, it was like the next day it came out or something. And the bot and the video I think is about or the song is about like someone cheating on him. And so people assumed that she cheated on him and had sex with someone else and um, he really fed into that narrative and it just like injured her and her mental health a lot and um, led like just sort of everything kept piling up and piling up and piling up until she sort of had some of these like public breakdowns. But mm, she was never out of control of her like life. Okay. And so then, so then she's been placed in this unfair situation for like a decade and a half at this point. And her dad apparently was never a good guy. Um, cares a lot about money, and you know, there's like trouble. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for the summary. I was just curious. Sure. Wasn't there? Uh, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. I, I actually put this in one of those sermons when i was out for two weeks under mm -hmm. quarantine but remember the one video I, I was doing it in this like a slew of famous videos from before that would now be tiktok videos but were before this yeah and one of them was the chocolate rain guy wasn't there a lady crying like a teenage girl or somebody like free britney way back when well this is actually very interesting um i just saw a tiktok video about that video it is by a person named Chris Crocker, who is... That's it, Chris Crocker. Transgender, actually. Okay. Um, and so she was mid... Well, oh, great. I don't know if that is her name now, but... It's close, because I remember I went and found her name. Okay. And um, she... But she was, like, mid-transition at the time. Okay. And, yeah, she is um, saying 
Free Britney. So that was a video way back when. Yeah. And I saw a TikTok that was like, what is a like YouTube video that um, has aged like fine wine? And they posted that video. Okay. And Chris Crocker has come out and said like, um, the idea of Free Britney wasn't like, the mostly the reason why everybody made fun of me when that happened was because they're transphobic and not because Britney Spears was actually like in trouble because she was. Um. So that what year did that thing come out? That video. Leave yeah. Britney alone. Oh, leave Britney alone. Okay. Yeah. Um. I don't know. What a question. Let me see. Well, anyways, you were right about the name. Um, okay. Well, thank you for enlightening me. Um, I have, I want to keep moving because again, we have a lot. Okay. Um, you can help me with a couple of things or two birds with one stone here. Okay. So, um, I've been on the Twitters more lately. Okay. I'm trying to, I think I'm going to try and build my Twitter self. Okay. okay. Looks like 2009. So very early adapter of the free Britney movement. Yes. Congratulations to Chris Crocker on that yeah. one. Um, and so I think I have good tweets, but I just can't get any response. Sure. Um, so I'm trying to, I've found a few algorithms to try and get more attention, but yeah. in my head, what I do is I multiply my number of likes by a thousand. Okay. So like, why do you do that? Um, because I think my tweets are undervalued. Okay. So I'm like, this is like a 23 likes. That's a 23,000 tweet. Like, like tweet. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but I'm working on a tweet. Mm -hmm. And um, I want you to help me with this. Okay, great. So I was thinking very randomly yesterday about how on headstones we historically have put rest in peace. Yeah. And then, but sometimes now I see people say rest in power. Mm -hmm. Well, you know where my mind started going? Where? Enneagram. Oh, okay. Because the nine would want rest in rest peace. Rest in peace. The eight would want. Rest in power. So I'm like, could I come up with everybody? Sure. I got all of them except for, guess which one? I don't know. The two. Really? So I'm going to have you help me at the end. You want to hear my things, though? Yes, yes. Let me know. I'll say the word. You can tell me who it is. Okay. Rest in perseverance. This is the hardest one. Rest in perseverance. Uh, are these in any particular order? I took them out of order just so that... So we could... Okay. Um, six. Yes. Okay. Uh, rest in perfection. One. Rest in popularity. <laughs> Three. Rest in playfulness. Seven. Rest in proficiency. Five. Rest in peculiarity. Four. And then I don't have a two. two. So this is what I was thinking. Yeah. Rest in passion. But it depends how you turn the word passion. Exactly. So do you have a P word for me that you would use for twos? Wow. What a great, what a great question. This is a fun exercise. Um, Thank you. Okay, so rest, let me think. Rest in power, rest in peace, rest in power, rest in, what was the seven? Playfulness. Playfulness, rest in perseverance, rest in... Proficiency. Proficiency, rest in peculiarity, rest in popularity, and rest in perfection. Yep. Rest in... Um, let me think. Because what are the banner, banner words for the two? Sure. Because they can be close to a six yeah. in some vantage points. Well, I do think you got you get like, you know, help and helpfulness yeah. a lot. Um, but, you know, the Sufi um, mystics, the Hindu, mm -hmm. often identified Jesus as a two mm. um, because of what they call the, the passions, the yeah. self-giving. Yeah. 
Right. But that like historic understanding of passion isn't it's how not. how it's used. Yeah. Well, and I think you know I watched a TV show this weekend called Firefly Lane. It's a new Netflix one, and I think one of the characters is a two. And she, it was actually interesting to watch because, but she was a two in the way that, in the way that I feel I often, like I I felt deeply like we are sort of experiencing the world in a in a similar way. And one of the things she kept saying is people kept saying to her, like, you're so, you're too good. You're so nice. Mm -hmm. And it is, I I think we've talked about this, about how my gut instinct always is to, like, (laughs) just, like, punch someone in the neck. Like, it's like, when someone comes at me, I, my reaction is always, my intern reaction is always like 10 times larger than I know that it should be. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But until there again, though, that would be another way to look at passion. Yeah. But until that moment, people think of me as mild. Right. Until they experience that. And even when they do experience it, they sometimes are like, that was a weird fluke. Taylor is a mild person, which is strange. Because I'm not a mild person. And I think that happens a lot for twos. And so that is, I think, where, like, the passion comes from. But I don't know that, like, I I don't know that other people would get it. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. No, I flirted with the word passion a lot, but I, I knew it would be misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can pose that question to um, fans and see what they say. Yes. Fans. Or listeners. Fans. Rest in popularity, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's a good two P word? All right. Well, thanks for doing that with me. That was fun. Hey, guess what I did for the first time last night? What? I bought something off eBay. Really? What'd you buy? I bought an ornament. Okay. Um, that's what I buy. The Hallmark ornament. Yeah. So I, I got Lily and the Hermione Granger interactive one, and Ooh, when cool. I before I knew it, like it, they all tell in individuals. This is very clever. Mm-hmm. If you have two of them, they'll converse between the two of them. Like it knows. If you get three, like in the random, it finds dialogue. So I have all of them because okay. I bought them on the blow afterwards. Uh-huh. But the resale market on the thing is going up fast. So I sniped a, a Ron Weasley at a really great price for 10 bucks last night. Okay. And I'm going to slowly try and build her the set. So when she moves away, she has her own because she loves it. Yeah. I know, which is like 10 years away. Right. But I thought it's a fun thing. So I and you could get them for cheap. But it was so much fun to sit there with my phone, watch this thing count down, uh-huh. and do what they call sniping. Oh. I just love these secondary markets like Macari and eBay. Oh, because at the last minute you can yeah. just go in and get and it. And you don't, I didn't realize about eBay. You can not only submit a like jump at the end, but you can submit a ceiling. So it'll bid all the way up at the end if they have. So like you don't actually have to bid. The thing bids, does bidding you? wars with itself. Okay. So, but it also doesn't overpay. So like my max bid was 1150 uh-huh. and um, I only needed 1050 to win. So okay. I put in 1050 That oh, was just yeah. really nice. Yeah. And then they gouge you on shipping, but whatever. Oh, that's so. great though. I so, don't think, now that you say that, I don't think I've ever bought anything on eBay. It was really fun. I like eBay now. Okay. I know I'm like 25 years late to the game. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, hey. Yeah. Can we just say, well, we need to, first of all, we wanted to apologize for our, yeah. Our tone deafness last week. Yeah, we were a little uh, flip, I guess. About the coming doom to Texas. Yeah. I still really enjoyed a lot amidst the difficulty. Oh, for sure. But yes, it was not worth what it cost us. No, definitely not. And also revealed a lot of... I think this is also maybe what my C 
Sam Seaborn pushed back is about revealed a lot of like we have a lot of systems that are outdated like the power grid not only in Texas but also across the country is like um was built in the 50s slated to last like 60 years and so it's 10 years over like it's um safety whatever and it's like I don't I haven't heard anybody talk about that until this do you know what I mean right. but it's like you know for a country that thinks of itself as like very highly developed like we actually have a lot of systems in place that mm-hmm. i mean and you know have you seen that article about how we were like moments away from a blackout that could have lasted for like 18 months yeah and like can you that's two summers yeah it, texas would die yeah yeah um i have a friend who works in energy pretty high up in minnesota oh, cool. he's an electrical engineer mm-hmm. He's got an MBA. He's he's really intelligent, mm-hmm. and um, so I called. We were texting, yeah, very early on, and he said, "This is what's going to happen in the discussion," and he was exactly right. Really, uh, but he said, "People are going to blame the utility companies," mm-hmm. but he said, "Like Encore is that the one that ERCOT, ERCOT, mm-hmm. so or er- Encore? Encore is our local delivery, okay. like power lines. They don't make energy. They get the they build the highways for energy. But it's ERCOT. ERCOT is like the from my understanding, like the parent of all the encores and the yeah. the energy producers. So anyways, he said, everybody's going to blame ERCOT. It's not actually ERCOT's fault. And this is why. ERCOT has been saying to politicians for years and years and years, we, we need to, to do this. this. Texans want a deregulated market of cheap, cheap, cheap energy. And the way you pay for those changes over time is you bump up prices a little more to build in to improve it. Uh-huh. But politicians one of the markets as deregulated as possible because we wanted cheap energy. Yeah. And it was a gamble. I mean, so we didn't we didn't need it for how many years. Right. You know, with global or climate change, who knows how many more times we might need it now. But, right. I mean, the bet paid off for a long time. Right. Um, but he said it's actually politicians' fault that won't spend yeah. money on energy improvement. Well, that's who I, I saw most people um, blaming, like Greg Abbott. Yeah. And not Greg Abbott for his response to this storm. No. Greg Abbott and the RNC for not changing anything for 20 years while having control. That's the problem. Yeah. That's what I saw a Beto O'Rourke tweet where he was like responding to Greg Abbott and being like, it's almost as if you and your party have been in power for 20 years and not fixed anything, you know? Yeah. Or not fixed anything when it comes to the electric grid. Yeah. So. Now, one question I do have that I would love to get answered is, so on these variable rate plans. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel for sure that you're about to ask me a question that I do not know the answer Well, to. so the the variable rate, they can change the price because they can change the price in the contract mm-hmm. um, up to these absorbent amounts. The absorbent amounts is a like free market principle where there's demand and supply. That I get all that. Yeah. My question is, does the price of the energy actually go up because the machines are working harder or simply because the market's no, saying supply and demand. The market's simply saying we can charge. Okay, so to me that's criminal. Then. I saw a quote from a, a like CEO of a electric company, and he was like, yeah. "This is really great for us because of all the demand we've been able to like gouge prices." Isn't that illegal at some point? Like not in Texas because the markets are deregulated. <whistles> Makes me mad. Makes me so, upset. So we have cheaper energy most of the time, mm-hmm. but leave ourselves liable to that. For things like this. Okay. Gross. 
Yeah. All right. Well, there's that. Um, can I just give a shout out to a company that I just continue to grow in admiration for? Sure. I love H-E-B so much. Oh my gosh. Heroes, truly. Yeah. My brother-in-law was telling me um, that he heard. Trevor? Yeah. I don't know why, but for some reason. Well, listeners don't know who Trevor is. Right, yeah. Um, that Fans. They have like an entire disaster response division within their team. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. He was also telling me there's like a trucker, an H-E-B trucker who was stuck at a um, trucker place wherever you go, uh-huh. you know, for like five days. And they brought meals to a bunch of people there. They brought meals to the hospital who was the, like using MREs one day. The trucker or? The trucker H-E-B? at the truck station. Okay. HEB brought them all meals. Oh. Brought them like kids with headphones, extra batteries. HEB then brought the hospital meals because they needed it. Yeah. You saw that story about sending people out of the store with free groceries because they're, I mean, yeah. just. It really is a place that's like, a, it's like. If every business functioned like HEB, mm-hmm. then I would feel maybe more positively about the idea that like humans are Capitalism. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's such a anomaly. Outlier. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and that's why I tried to say my prayer. I'm sure I don't see some of the ugly. I'm yeah. sure there are things, but by golly, they're one in the PR game and you yeah. got to hand it to them. Well, and it's, and then a lot of it is like, you find out later, like they did 10 other things that were like so good. Yeah. And um, I have friends that like work for HEB corporate and they all have good things to say. So wow. definitely it is. Of course, there's always something going on that we don't see or whatever. But it's and the, the crazy thing is like when I go in HEB, it it's just like a Kroger or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But then I love it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what that like. How do they do that? Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. The same. It's like mostly like teenagers or people in their young twenties working the cash registers, and they seem, you know, some of them are really nice, and some of them are normal, and you know, seem like this is my job, and it's okay, I'm here, but I don't love it or whatever, and and they're helpful when I ask for where something is, but it's, I mean, like, I just don't know why it's like it feels like such a great grocery store. I can't. I can't explain why, but it does. Yeah. I mean, my guess, you know, I was a business major and I'm not any good at it, but <laughs> when I took those HR management classes, I do think it's about corporate culture okay. and putting right people in key positions to promote the right kinds of people to yeah. lead a certain way. Yeah, but it's giant. There's like I so know. Much... It's astounding that. It, yeah. It, but it's kind of like Chick-fil-A and let's leave the controversy aside of for a second. Of course, of course. Like they somehow. Yeah are really just good at what they do. Yeah, it's everyone's experience. Everyone's experience is very similar. I, I guess I do know this. Like, um, I had a friend who opened up several alternative chicken restaurants in Texas. Not Chick-fil-A chicken yeah. restaurants? Yeah, and he was very forthright. He's like, we can't compete with what they pay. Um, yeah. In subtext, they can get be choosy about who they hire. They can? Yeah. Yeah, and that also... I, I do think HGB is similar. Um, they pay i don't think it's um not quite the difference do you know what i mean between like um chick-fil-a and another chicken place but i do think they you know they pay a living wage and they um pay people a little more than they have to and there are benefits before they have to have them and stuff like that but i so i think that's probably part of it as well also at bucky's i might quit my job and go work at bucky's oh really 
Well, for, to it's like the. I don't know. I did the math one time, and it's like I could make more working at Bucky's. Really? Not as like a, a person in the store, but as like a manager. Well, sure. Like that. Yeah. I mean, those. That's a so legit. If you the, now that we've said all three, have you seen the meme, the three branches of Texas government? Uh huh. H-E-B and Chick Fil A. Is it? No, it's Whataburger. Oh, is it Whataburger? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I guess Chick Fil A is more of a Atlanta. Yeah. That's um, funny. But yeah. So. Well, um, hey, uh, we don't have to talk about this, but you mentioned Brandy Cinderella. Yes. Uh, that just came out, and Lillian was watching it this week, so you win. Good for Lillian. Because we were talking about Jason Alexander. It's amazing. It's the best. It's the best. That's all. Oh, I I'm, don't have to qualify that. It I'm is glad the they liked it. Um, yeah, I was going to ask if you guys had watched it. Hey, another question. Yeah. Why am I seeing so much about deconstruction in Twitter lately? Did somebody start deconstructing or something? I don't know. Like Beth Moore was tweeting about it. Everybody else was tweeting about it. I'm like, did I miss a moment here? I'm going to be really honest. All of those like Twitter famous Christian, famous Christian people, I never know why they're talking about what they're what talking they're, about. Yeah, th- their prompts are much different than mine. Yeah, and it, and it does seem a lot that it's like they're all talking about something. I guess something happened, but it's like I could not tell you what it is, you know? Um, I did see a tweet where someone was like, um, a bunch of you people who have already deconstructed always seem so excited when someone deconstructs to the point that they like throw their faith away. Oh, I saw that one. And too. someone responded and was like, I don't know anyone who's done that. So <laughs> stop talking. Um, which was, and also it's like, um, I, I just think a lot about how different people go through things differently. And the idea that like walking away from the church for a season is not the same as like throwing your faith away, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just didn't know if I'd missed something, but it sounds like you're just as in the dark as I am. Yeah, I All am. Right. Okay, Taylor, um, I think I'm going to cut everything else off because we're at 50 minutes, but I do want to get my quiz. We're at 50 minutes? Yeah. Okay. Okay, here's your quiz. Are you ready for it? Do, 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 do. Um, oh, no, I lost it because I Googled. <laughs> because I Googled the Leave Britney Alone video, but I found it. Okay, Josh, here's your quiz. It's called, Can You Finish the Famous Bible Verse? Oh, I love this. Okay. And I'm glad you insinuated that it would be easy, even if it wasn't. That means you think I know the Bible. I feel like you do know the Bible very well. Um, okay, for God so loved the world. John 3.16. <laughs> that's not. It's not the reference. It's, um, can you finish it? Oh, okay. You gave his only begotten son to whoever, so you know, should not perish, but have eternal life. But have eternal life. That That's is. a big John phrase, by the way, eternal life. Johannine. Johannine. And do you know what eternal life is in John? Uh, I was just about to ask. What are the implications there? Knowing God. That's what eternal life is. Knowing God. Nothing about getting saved. It's about or, knowing God. Or living forever. Yeah, well, don't depress me. Okay. Popularity. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Makes me lie down my green pasture, still waters, restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow death. Where do I got to stop? The Lord is my... You didn't even say the thing... I shall not want. Yes, yeah. Psalm 23, 1. Okay, good for you. Look at how smart you are. Well, I thought they'd pick a little harder verses. I know. I'm a little... (laughs) Let's see what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I don't know that this is for... (laughs) 
Like people who've been to seminary. You okay, know what I mean? it's fun still. Though I because if I don't get these, yeah, there you go. Though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yep. For thou art with me. You prepare. Oh my gosh, this is table in the presence of my enemies. I'll just knock the whole thing out. You know, my head with oil, my cup of flow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Okay. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. One flesh. That's good. The yeah. flesh. You remembered the flesh part. Oh yeah. You are dust, and to dust you, you shall, shall return. That's from Ash Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> yeah, very um, calendar-wise, very important right now. Cain said, I do not know. Am I? Who said? Cain. Oh, my brother's keeper. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a funny tweet the other day. It was actually very serious, but it was funny because the guy was like, I don't think people who ask, am I my brother's keeper, get that it's like, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> then Cain went away and settled in the land of... Nod. Yes. And then what comes after Nod. Um, and he was there by himself, but mysteriously there were other people there. And we no, don't know there how to... are options. Do you want them? Yeah. Uh, east of Eden, oh, north yeah, east of, of the Tigris. E- east of Eden is okay. the answer. Sorry, direction. Yeah. A soft word, blank, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft word, blank, but a harsh word... A stu- uh, what translation? A soft word... There's options. Do you want yeah. them? Okay. Stirs up kindness, is lovely... Uh, Oils the waters or turns away wrath? Turns away wrath. Yeah. That's kind of what you're talking about with Sam Seaborn. Mm-hmm. A soft word turns away wrath. It's also a proverb, so you could do something with that, too. <laughs> he who... Ugh, this one's gross. He who blank spoils the child. He who spares the rod. Yeah. Corporal punishment. That's also proverbs. That's why it's problematic. <laughs> Wisdom that didn't quite turn out to be wise all the time. Those who wait upon the Lord will... Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. That one makes me think of Remember the Titans. Or Isaiah 40. Yeah. 4031. These three abide, blank, blank, and love, but the greatest of hope and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Wow. When I became an adult, I put away... Childish things. Mm -hmm. That's 1 Corinthians 3 or 2. (laughs) It doesn't say. It's 1 Corinthians 2. 1? 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. I can do blank through him. All things. Goes. Philippians 4.13. Thanks, yeah, Tim Tebow. Uh, it's my favorite thing to say that when I'm yeah, just like. It's a great sarcastic <laughs> use of the Bible. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your. First Corinthians 15.58. Where is your sting? Sting. No, not 58. 57. Six. Somewhere in there. Oh, this has multiple things. 15.55. But also it's um, giving reference to Hosea. Okay. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of... Those who loved him are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 30... 28. 28, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I know that my Redeemer... Lives Job 19 something. And we sh- on that day we'll stand and write my name in a rock and yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on... Acknowledge him and you'll guide your past. That is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Okay. That one I... Uh-huh. Um, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for and the evidence of things yet not seen Hebrews 11 1 things not seen uh, what good is it my brothers and sisters if you say you have faith but worship that James 2 11 
faithful that works is dead. People love to ask, what good is it if in the Bible? Uh, For the wages of sin is... Death. Romans 6, 18? 23. 23. Come to me, all you who are weary and have burdened. Reading, Matthew 10, 28. I'll give you rest. Take your yoke on me. Learn from me. Rest. Gentle um, and spirit. Then God said to Moses, I am... Uh, who I am? Yeah. Exodus three fourteen. Nailed it. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be blotted out. And that's Psalm. It is. That is not uh, an answer choice. Okay. What are my choices? Well, washed away. Yeah. Or white as snow, forgiven, faded. Yeah. White as snow. White as snow. Washed. White as snow. Uh, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will cover a multitude of sins. Uh huh. What do you think that means? It means if you get somebody saved, you get f- ten free sins. No. <laughs> Refuse. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, Luke six. Nailed it. Mm. That was also Mash Wednesday reading. This says Matthew six. No it's man, also in Luke 6. It's all there. <laughs> no man can serve two masters. You cannot ser- oh, no, serve both masters. Oh, no. Matthew 6. I'm an idiot. Sorry. Did you read from Matthew? Yeah, it was Matthew. I don't know that I would say you're an idiot because you said Luke instead of Sorry. Matthew. I was sermon on the plane for some reason. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and... Mammon. That's what it says. Um, it's in all the synoptics, oh. I think. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Matthew. It says you could say mammon or well. Yeah. Consider the blank, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Consider the lilies of the field. The lilies of the field. Nailed it. Um, okay, well, I think we could go on for much longer. It's a very long quiz, but you've proven that you... Um, I, I have I've wrangled with the Bible. You, um, you Did you like that one better than the Twilight one? Oh, gosh, like? yes. That one let me try and be impressive. So, <laughs> Okay, Taylor, we need to take a break and say a word about our sponsors. Okay. Well, Taylor, it was a heck of a week here in Waco, Texas. Did you have any broken pipes? Um, I didn't, but all Friday I walked around being like... Spared by the grace uh, of God. Truly. Well, I'll tell you what I knew I didn't want to do. I knew I didn't want to go to the, um, Home Depot, which mm-hmm. had guards at the in the plumbing aisle, or Lowe's, which Lowe's? had a um, massive display of PVC pipe all over the store, but just was did not crowds I wanted to fight. So I went right. to Smoot Anderson and Company mm-hmm. for all my plumbing needs. I took in my thing right in there, and they rebuilt me the same thing in under five minutes, and it was $23. And let me tell you what I told That's you yesterday, crazy. which is we made fun of Michael Scott, but I absolutely at a phase in my life where I'm willing to pay 5 to 10% more mm-hmm. for customer service. Yeah. Like I said at Ace um, Circle Hardware. Yeah. So if you have plumbing problems, either now or in the future, we recommend that you go to Smoot Anderson Company over on 3400 Clay Avenue or give them a call before you go and ask them if they have at 254-753-0803. That's Smoot Anderson and Company Incorporated. That's amazing. And we're back. We're back. Okay. Well, we got something to talk about today. Um, this is a text prompt from a listener. Yeah. We put out a call a few weeks ago and we said, hey, if you have things you want us to talk about, we would love to think about that. And um, my friend Harris Bechtel, uh, yeah. philosophy professor, um, texted me and said, hey, why don't you take on the conversation that revolves around the question of um, what he called the celestial kingdom? 
The reason I thought we should do it this week is because the Matthew 6 reading we just talked about from Ash Wednesday includes yeah. all this. Yeah. So there's this language from Matthew 6 where it repeatedly says, you know, like, don't pray the wrong way, don't fast the wrong way, don't whatever the wrong way, give money, mm-hmm. do it in secret. And then the tagline consistently is because God, your Father in heaven, will reward you in secret. Mm-hmm. So the question then becomes about the motivating factor for doing things yeah. and um, if that's problematic. So um, I thought, well, we read the verses. Should I read the text thread to get us going? Yeah. Okay, so here's what Harris says. Per MLK podcast, when you all posted, here's a touch of theological topic for the podcast. The passage in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount what, uh, that have to do with the celestial economy around the repeated phrase, and the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Um, touchy, he meant to say. Say more, I write. Why are those touchy texts? Uh, this is a pretty big conversation, but the gist revolves around the question, what are our motivating factors in following Christ? We aren't supposed to become followers because of any earthly reward. However, um, are we supposed to pursue justice, give to the poor, fast, etc., because God will reward us for this in heaven? The spirit of the gospel seems to go against this. The motivation to love is because God is love and exemplified through Christ, and we are to participate in the same way of living. We are to love because it is good, right, and true intrinsically. Yet parts of the Sermon on the Mount and the idea of rewards in heaven seem to contradict this, or at least be apparatic tension with the spirit of the gospel. Does that make sense? New thread, he says, Nietzsche, Derrida, two atheists, of course, put me out of this a few years ago. I've never been able to square this idea with the heavenly rewards and how we live now and how I understood the thrust of the gospel. And he says a few more things. So, what do you think? Um... Uh, what an interesting question. So c- can I summarize, try to summarize it a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the inherent question is like sort of why do we like follow, well, not follow, but why do we pursue Christ likeness? Why do we pursue God? Um, and is it, if it's not for reward, or like, is it for a reward? Is that, that's kind of the question. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you feel like there's any additions? No, I think that's a good summation. Okay. Um, so, you know what's really interesting to think about? Is like the different ways I would have answered this in like different phases of my life. That's exactly where my mind went. Yeah. About the stages of formation. Yeah. And what metaphors do for us. Yeah. Um... Because I think now I would say, um, no, that, that um, we don't, we do not pursue Christ's likeness. We do not pursue relationship with God for reward, but because of the good that it is in and of itself. Um, and I think, you know, to me, it's like the eternal question. I feel like you love movies that are always about like, like the Ben Stiller movie you talked about recently, yeah. um, where he, you know, ultimately pursued all these things that he thought would leave him, would make him feel fulfilled, but he never really did. And for me, I think uh, sort of, you know, the pursuit of the divine and sort of experiencing oneness and relationship with God and pursuing to be, you know, sort of formed further and further into the image of Christ. We pursue those things because those are actually the only things in life that make us feel fulfilled and rewarded. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that say I don't know, I don't necessarily think that like 
the idea that God sees us in secret and rewards us in secret is like that we follow, that we, that that means we're only pursuing God to get those rewards. Do you know what I mean? It just is like an inherent side effect of doing that. Yeah. What do you think? Well, um, I don't know that my thoughts are wildly different. I, I did that thing in the sermon two weeks ago where I used the Noah text to actually unpack the stages of development. Mm-hmm. So then let's apply the same thing to this text. Um, and I'm going to borrow broadly from Scripture to, to talk about this, but I do think there's a usefulness in teaching children about streets paved with golds and jewels in your crown and these other attractive images because what we're trying to communicate is that um, heaven is a good place. Yeah. But then we come up, we come at some time to a, well, and I think that those things stop being important. Then you go to evangelicalism where like Christian worship and a certain expression becomes the kind of ultimate good. Mm -hmm. It's like the presence of God, these things. And those are good things, right? I'm not detracting from those in my sarcastic voice. But, um, and then in deconstruction, you get a version of what I think is the dark night of the soul. And you read all these Christian authors who say the same thing, which is essentially, you know, God pulls the pacifier from you to see if you, in fact, you really love God for God's presence. Yeah. Um, And then if you can get back around to it, I think you have a mature version of faith that learns to appreciate God for God's sake and no other reason. Um, I think the way to make sense of all that theologically, N.T. Wright in his book, After You, no, not After You Believe, what was the one about heaven? Surprised by Hope, I think. Yeah. Talks a lot about how the actual theological definition of heaven is not about place, but it's where God's future purposes for the world are stored up, Mm -hmm. which is the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And I think once you establish that is kind of your escapism, eschatological end that that can proleptically to borrow from Moltmann take expression in all kinds of images that make sense to us at different phases in our life yeah um and so you know what do I think about Matthew do I think Matthew is inviting us to love God for something other than God's self no but he's also got a new community of you know because of poverty rampant um intellect anti-intellectual ability or Mm-hmm. What's the word there? There's not an opportunity for education. Right. So to bring people along in the faith, you have to offer these images. Right. Um, you know, it's like the with hell, too. Like, I don't believe hell is fiery furnace and utter darkness because those concepts don't make sense out of what we know about physics and light and burning and bright. <laughs> right? Right, yeah. But, but absence of presence of God is hellish, and that's right. the point. Yeah. Um, so that's like my quick summation of that. Yeah. Um, well, and I do think it's interesting because, but when we talk about, um, you know, the idea of like, you said it's still important to teach children about like streets of gold and images that are beautiful and stuff like that so that they understand that heaven is a good place, you know? Um, I do think, but a lot of people move that imagery into adulthood but skipping the, the deconstruction stage. yeah with a kind of literalism uh-huh. well and I think that's to say is they don't evolve out of some of those earlier stages then yeah which I do think is hard because then also we have language in scripture obviously of like having childlike faith mm-hmm. and um, but it's but again I think that fourth stage makes um, space the, for that that's like the, the I was 
quoting Rakur is it's a return to the second naivete. Right. So it's the childlike wonder we want and the open-mindedness and the open-heartedness, I think, more importantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, too, for me, I would press Jesus sure. on what that reward is because I think what we hope that reward is morphs as we age. And what the goodness of God is, is we come into a more holistic understanding. So where I am at in my life right now, mm-hmm. um, I pretty much, I think I'm getting to the place where I can understand things for what they are and aren't. There can be a source of joy, but they will really disillusion you if you put too much any kind of emotional, right? Mm-hmm. Hope into them. So I'm reading Wendell Berry, mm-hmm. who I love to an idolic level. Um, <laughs> and he's talking about enjoying work. And how, you know, I think he's talking about the Amish, but really how that's what we're made to do is enjoy our work. Mm-hmm. And not in an industrial revolution, you're a machine, but like, yeah. you know, restoring something he talks about. Or, yeah. And so I put in a new toilet on mm-hmm. Sunday. Saturday. Saturday, was it? Yeah. Well, you it, talked about it yesterday, so. And I replaced a pipe Friday. And I did just kind of have this like deep abiding satisfaction that like yeah. I was able to make this space I dwell in more inhabitable. And that was like a, an abiding sense of joy. Yeah. I, if you would have told me that at 17, I would have looked at myself and said, what an utter failure <laughs> that this guy really? gets joy out of putting in a toilet and fixing a faucet. But it's, it's, and so I think that's my point is the reward you get from the father is always the presence of God. Yeah. The where and why that can take expression is, um, evolves as we evolve. And to hopefully a healthier thing. Yeah. That would be my take. I could be wrong. Well, that's so interesting. Uh, <laughs> because essentially what you're saying is, because we both said this at the beginning, right? That my answer would have changed throughout the seasons of my life. And but what you're saying is like that your answer would have been right in every season of life. Oh, um, right in that it was matching my developmental ability. Interesting. So this is actually where I find Kelvin helpful. Mm-hmm. And I know when I quoted the sermon last time, I saw Jamie roll his eyes and shake his head. Really? But where he said, and it, Kelvin is talking about anthropomorphisms and how God doesn't actually have wings or God doesn't actually change sure. God's mind, these other things. And when the Bible says God does these things, this is God. Um, the quote something like cooing as a mother coos to a baby so they can understand in palatable right. language um i think that that's kind of true with images we get in scripture mm-hmm. right heaven doesn't have streets paved with gold right, right. heaven isn't probably a jewish theological place a physical place but sure. um for me to conceive of streets with gold when i'm six is for me like the ultimate is good right right which is what that's supposed to be but i do think we we should move very quickly out of that. I mean, I think about our kids. I mean, I think about the fifth and sixth graders I was with last night. And um, <laughs> at some point, we're talking about creation and how God called it good. And very quickly, somebody's like, but then why are there diseases? You yeah. know? And um, I said, you know, we talked <laughs> we talked a little bit about how God also created humans. 
and um, how we get to make decisions. And they're like, and some people make bad decisions. And then we all have to, like, like, it just, like, they just seemed very quickly to be able to move through the idea that, like, um, one thing we do confess as Christians is that God created everything, but that there are still things that exist in the world that are, um, that are dangerous or bad, you know, and I think that when, I think that their parents, hopefully, uh, you know, and hopefully UBC has done at least a, a good job of preparing them to ask questions and be open to the idea of answers. But these are 10-year-olds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so would the question slash concern be that the model itself is breaking down because those transitions are happening so much faster now? Um, maybe, I guess. Well, and I think that could make sense culturally with the exposure young people to have information now that we didn't. Yeah. Um, both terms and volume through like the ease of the internet, but also um, the the earlier ages they are exposed to those things now. Yeah, but I also think that is. I don't know that it's. I mean, you know, I think maybe ten is like a, um, a a little earlier than like people used to be having these conversations. Oh yeah, I wasn't saying those things when I was ten. But well, but I do think there were people. I'm like, I don't know that it's. crazy that they're asking those questions developmentally and I do think that that you know could have changed but I still think that like at least teenagers are normally capable of asking questions like that you know what I mean like our youth group students and so my concern is um when we still have entire I mean we still have people who are I mean, I guess, I guess my ultimate question is this. So we talked about the uh, second naivete, like a return to childlike faith. But what if, what, I mean, like, what are the consequences for having, like, entire groups of adults who still believe the way that children, like, not a return, not a second naivete, but it's like they've never left it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean... I feel like that's a little bit of a different conversation, but yeah, a, sev- is. a severe problem. And um, yeah, no, but you're right. Probably a different conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you get wooden approaches to real life issues that, um, because of a posture towards truth and how truth is disseminated, mm-hmm. forces them to have positions about things that let's um, well. I don't, I don't want to be snarky. I know. That's what I was just thinking. But, well, and we were talking earlier about trying to listen to things um, and read things with generosity towards yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder, like, um, you know, is that fine? Or... Well, I think, it. I mean, for me, it's like, what's the fruit coming out of your life? That's always the silver bullet for right. me. Yeah. So um, one of the things I always try and say is I don't... I, I generally try and not communicate that mysticism is better than evangelicalism sure it's just different and it's a necessary evolution of our spiritual selves that is held and cared for by god yeah each stage and i think that the the spirit is always active in everybody's life and that's the saving grace right but oh sorry no go you go ahead well what i was going to say is you can certainly say that there are people maybe who've made it to mysticism but the fruit is still 
That's true. Not good. Right. And um, and then you can find adults who are still in what's not because they're you know a new convert or whatever people who've been in the church their whole lives, but their faith is still um sort of childlike, and they do have the, they have great fruit. Do you know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Interesting. I referenced this email. I had gotten last week about a theological issue mm-hmm. and I went back and reread it because I responded to this last week finally. And uh, one of the things the person said is what's so hard for me is um, I feel like I'm negotiating this relationship with my parents for whom this belief is hard that I'm at a church where that's believed. Mm-hmm. But um, they're such good people. What I do with that? Yeah. I mean, that wasn't articulated like that. And I just said, yeah, that's honestly, I, I'm always more convicted by who people are than sometimes even what they're articulating yeah um and we all know like you know somebody who's just has what would we might say is a feels like a naive form of faith but by golly they're just really beautiful human beings right certainly and yes this certainly was a move away from the original um from the original conversation um but you know what? The original conversation also sort of reminds me of your like Sam Seaborn thing, um, or just maybe like PR in general. Uh, the idea of like speaking softly and sharing pretty images is like, in some ways, it's like those are the things humans want. You know, like, and I think, or even just like when we talk about like how part of experiencing God is like experiencing the joy that God gives people it's like that's a true thing and also it is a, an attractive thing do you know mm-hmm. what I mean and so um, I don't think that it's you know for Matthew to, to say like you you will be rewarded by God and God sees you in secret you will be rewarded in secret is it seems that um, the reference is to sort of like what it is like to live a life in pursuit of God and to experience God and how that is a reward. And it's not untrue. Do you know what I mean? So to talk about a reward, I mean, I guess the concern is, and you sort of talked about this earlier, is like when people think like the reward is like, well, and I do think that there can be some dangerous theological understanding if you think the reward is like a prosperity gospel situation well that's probably what he has in mind okay um which yeah maybe maybe we missed the whole boat because that's probably (laughs) but i i mean i didn't even assume that was on the table i I thought it immediately of like self-fulfillment and yeah um you know joy yeah and so i think yeah then the question becomes like the same question that we are asking of when we look at someone and see like, oh, this is maybe a more immature faith, but there is good fruit coming out of this or something like that. I think if you develop an understanding of these scriptures that is like, okay, so I'm a good person if good things are happening to me and if bad things are happening to me, then I'm not doing good things. Yeah. And interestingly, when I first taught the fourfold stages of development, which I didn't come up with myself, I got it from Bert, who I think got it from that book. There's a famous book that has like nine stages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used Job to do it. And the mm-hmm. thing that I used to represent evangelicalism was that God gives and God takes away. Mm-hmm. Like that can be really damaging, depending on where you are in life and what's happening to you. Yeah. Uh, especially the 
the God's taking away thing, mm-hmm. but equally that God is giving you, right? Because yeah. um, why is God giving you a stable job and health insurance and these things, but not the person next to you who's living presumably the same way morally? Yeah. Right? Well, and it, it really does, mm-hmm, yeah, because it, it can set up in either situation either like a sense of um, moral failure and ineptitude and like the idea that you are somehow damaged in a way that like you can't even experience rewards from God or it can set up like if you and I do think it has in our society a little bit set up the idea that like oh well I am a good person because look at my life like I have a house I have a car I have a good job and that means that I'm living my life better than other people who don't have those things which is obviously (laughs) not just like inherently wrong and that it's insufficient sort of factually but also morally insufficient and all sorts of other things i think too i have to remember the feel and the perception of the possibility of the health and wealth thing is gotta be a kind of uniquely american thing in the 20th 20th, 19th 21st centuries yeah thinking um basically post-industrial revolution where you know i don't think that that would work in most cultures even in the west after the enlightenment because people were still by and large poor yeah and like that would just seem like disillusionment and not true right um and so yeah i wonder how these things felt in the 16th century in spain Mm -hmm. in a rural village you know like would your instinct even be able to think oh yeah i'm gonna end up with a mansion like king louis if i um i just don't think that would cross their mind yeah that's so true so so it is sort of American, I think, also in the like sort of rugged individualism, pick mm. yourself up by your bootstraps type of worldview that a lot of American people have, which is like, if you work hard, your life will be good. Yeah. And it just is like, actually, we have not set up a society that necessarily makes that true, you know? Well, and um, this is reminding me now of Lauren... The Duke scholar, she's Jewish. Lauren, she wrote um, Mud Health Sabbath. Lauren Winner, is that Lauren her name? Lauren Winner. She wrote a book, I can't remember, it's Middle something, Middle Space. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name, I read it. And um, Carrie gave it to me, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. And, um, Carrie is she, friends with Lauren Winner. You know, well, of course she is. She has a chapter in that book called, called Reading the Bible in Eight Places. Mm-hmm. And she talks about if you go to a prison and read something about setting the captives free, it like physically feels different. Yeah. And if you go to a bank and read the scriptures about wealth, uh-huh. it physically feels different. So I wonder, too, not just like 16th century Spain where there was rampant poverty, mm-hmm. it kind of accepted where they don't even know it's poverty because it just is. Yeah. Or if you would go now to like a 21st century Western country where like we'll pick Norway that is socialist. That is doing pretty well as far as I understand it because they have this, you know, Nordsy oil thing, a small population, mm-hmm. a completely different and yet content kind of way of life, mm-hmm. um, how they would read the scripture. Yeah. Where mm. becoming a billionaire is not a real possibility, but neither is the threat of poverty right. a real kind of like, what is, what is a good reward then? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What an interesting question. So if there were any Christians in Norway, we might know, but 
It's a sure godforsaken sure secular Western European society. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> um, also, though, that it's like you, you know, you think often about the fact that like often, um, you know, in the 600, the, the 400 years of slavery in uh, the United States, that a lot of slaveholders passed Christianity, um, you know, into their slaves. And Whether but also minded. when they gave them the Bible, they removed a lot of the Old Testament and a lot of the scriptures about slaves and masters. And um, which certainly I think at least <laughs> reveals a sort of culpability and understanding that like this book was yeah talking about how the situation they were perpetuating was evil right um so that's an interesting idea what a mind trip i know i you know this summer we did uh the virtual vbs mm -hmm. and they i love i love both of the companies that we get most of our curriculum from but um they had this big mural that all the kids got and that you color different places every day. And it was the, talking about justice and compassion was kind of the Are theme. those those signs I saw floating around the church then? We had those big posters that they colored? Oh, the big poster I think was for Pentecost. We're gonna oh, that's right. another one for Easter soon. Um, but um, on the big mural they had, and they, they, this was smaller than that mural. It was only like six pieces of paper taped together. But on that mural it, had a jail and was like we should close this jail <laughs> and i thought like um it was like a the idea was about like for-profit prisons and the school to prison pipeline but i was just so impressed that they worked it into this like um you know sort of first to fifth grade like well that's one way to get them in deconstruction real quick <laughs> trafficker, yeah. I, maybe i prompted that in these children so um well maybe what we should do next time is call harris yeah. Should I try them right now? Sure, yeah, let's see. We're, we're at a minute 25, but our turn. Call Harris Bechtel. See if he answers. Yeah, he's a busy guy. Well, he's a PhD in philosophy. Yeah, smart. Smart guy. Smarty. I wanted to call this week. Who? Mayor Dylan Meek. Oh, yeah. To tell him he did a good job? Well, yeah. Hey, this is Harris. Leave a message and I'll uh, call you back. Harris, this is Josh and Taylor from It Was Either This Or. We're just talking about the celestial economy of the kingdom and about to wrap up another episode. And we wanted to get your opinion at the tail end. But maybe we'll bring you in the next week. Hope you're doing well, bud. Call Mary Dylan Meek once. Okay. Change the subject. Thanks, Harris. Yeah. <laughs> um, I keep thinking you're saying Mary Dylan Meek, but oh. you're saying Mayor? No, Mayor. Mayor. Call Dylan Meek. He did a great job. He did do a good job. We made it through. We didn't go into a boil, uh, like a water boil. A lot of people I did. I know. Most everybody did. Waco's biggest celebrity this week. Yeah. I think we're going to strike out again. He's very important, though. He gets an excuse. He has a lot going on. Yeah. We're going to let him off the hook. Okay. Well, but tell him he did a good job.
Oh, I did. I texted him yesterday. Okay. Said I heard a lot of positive things about him in the city this week. So thank you, Waco. Thank you, Mayor Dylan Meek. You were our heavenly reward this week. (laughs) Keeping our water on as much as you could. It's crazy. I mean, like, everyone I know, every other city I know um, had a boil notice. And we did it because they did such a good job of communicating and telling people what to do and being forthright. And I just really appreciated it. Yeah. Thank and you, ca- them. And caring. And thank you, listeners, yeah. for doing another episode of It Was Either This Or. Yeah. We love you. Yeah, we do. Bye.